so uh, two Sundays ago was a, was a really interesting day for me just personally. Um, is the morning I was preaching here and I was preaching over at one of our other churches at Marathon. And, and so it's one of those days you've seen me do that before where I'm like preaching and driving back and forth. It's just a crazy day. And it was the day that we were talking about what it means to be a family marked by grace and truth. And God was just doing a, a lot of neat things in our family. It was a hard conversation, but hearts were uh, receptive and people were talking. And it had been this incredible morning. And I'd bounce back and forth and I, I get back to the 11, I preach the 11. And as soon as I get done preaching, uh, a guy who's a part of our family here at Ethos, he comes up and he says, hey, have you heard about what happened in the church in Antioch? And, and uh, he starts telling me about this church right here in our city um, that had a mass shooting and the pastor had been shot. And uh, I don't know if you even remember this because so much has happened in the last 14 days. I mean, but that happened two weeks ago. And, and uh, he came and he shared this story with me. And the thing that made it really, really hit close to home is when the news was first reported, it was reported that it happened at the church that my cousin pastors. And... And, you know, the news report was that the pastor had been shot. And so he comes up and tells me, hey, you know, this is what's happened. And all of a sudden, I'm trying to call my family. I'm trying to get a hold of everybody. Can't get a hold of anyone. And just, just kind of the terror, you know, set in. And it was just this weird mix of emotions, like real a high moment being with our family here. And then just kind of the depths of fear and pain and all that stuff. And so... Um, eventually I get a hold of my cousin and he answers. I thought, okay, good, he's alive, you know? And, and he said, hey, the, the report was wrong. The shooting was not at my church and it didn't, it didn't happen to me. He said, it happened right down the street from us. And the irony of the whole story was the church that it actually happened at is a church that my dad used to pastor. In fact, it's the church that I spent the first two and a half years of my life in that church. I know there's people, I know the people that got shot. It was just this, so it was this swing of emotions, just this kind of crazy crazy day. And so I kind of spent that, that week just feeling just very close and very personal, just, just some of the mourning of what's going on in our world. And then last Sunday, I, was, I wasn't here because I was down in Chattanooga. We planted a new church last week in Chattanooga, and they had their first Sunday, and it was amazing. It was exciting, and we're down there celebrating with them, and it was just this incredible day. And then I come home from that in Chattanooga, and we have this block party that my wife and I with some of our neighbors we threw to, to minister to our neighborhood, and it just went great. This is an incredible day of, of God's presence. And then we had this prayer gathering last Sunday night and just filled with joy as we prayed for the world and what was going on. And then I woke up on Monday morning to what all of us woke up to on Monday morning. And it was just, just the mess in Las Vegas. And, and the only way I know how to describe what I've, I've been feeling in this last season is it's felt like emotional whiplash. Have any of you felt that? It, it's like... I haven't even had the space to finish grieving what happened two weeks ago, and then something good comes along, and then something even worse comes along, and, and I, I'm tired of it. Um, I, I don't know how to talk about it. I want to talk about it, but I don't want to talk about it. I, I, sometimes I, I feel overwhelmed because I feel so much, and sometimes I feel guilty because I don't feel at all. You know, maybe you can resonate with some of those feelings, but it's, it's just the, the, the place that I've been, and People will say, hey, has it been a good day? And I'm like, it's been, a, it's been a day. It's been good and it's been bad. It's been hard and it's been beautiful. And I go, isn't this the, the reality of what we're living in in this season? You know, on Monday night, Jimmy Kimmel, a late night talk show host, he, in the middle of his monologue, he made this statement that really struck me. He said, in the midst of everything that's been unfolding around us, he says, it's as if someone has opened up a window into hell and we've all gotten to see I just thought, man, isn't, isn't that just this description that some of us have been wrestling with? And I go, what does it mean and what does it look like practically for us to be a family that is marked by a living hope in the midst of a world that at times feels like we've been given a window into hell? 
You know, on Thursday morning, uh, I was reading through the paper, which you should never do unless you want depression. And so I'm just like reading through the paper. And there's this article that was written by this uh, self-pronounced agnostic. And he said, in light of everything that's going on in the world, he said, I just keep asking myself the question, where is the world going? And he said, even an agnostic like me is prone to believe maybe Jesus is going to return. He said, everything that's been going on, you know, the, 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 the political chaos and uh, what's been happening, not just one hurricane, but four hurricanes and famines and earthquakes and fires and all of this stuff. He said, all of this stuff that is going on is making me wrestle with the question, where, where is the world going? And have you ever noticed that there's something about hard seasons that force us to wrestle with hard questions? And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves gravitating towards easy answers. So often there tends to be one of two sides that people like us take. You know, in seasons like this, there's the side of the eternal optimist and there's the side of the eternal pessimist. And on both sides, you have both religious and non-religious people. And so, you know, the eternal optimist, they look at what's going on in the world and they go, hey, it's just all gonna be okay. Everybody quit freaking out. It's what the eternal optimist says. And the religious people are saying, hey, if only the, the church could live out the kingdom. If we could be salt and light, it's gonna be okay. The eternal optimists are just saying, hey, if, if only we can get things together, it's going to be okay. And the truth is, that's kind of true in some ways. And yet, at times, it feels apathetic and disconnected from real pain. But it's not just religious people that take the optimistic view. Non-religious people take it as well, right? And so they don't look to the church and they don't look to Jesus. Non-religious people say, hey, if only we could legislate morality, If only we could get the right leaders and the right people and the right systems and the right education and the right rules. If only we could get everything right, then finally we could live out this human utopia that we all long for. And uh, some of you may not believe that, but if you've ever been to a global city like San Francisco or New York or Tokyo or London, if you've ever been to these cities, sometimes this is a, a dominant thought amongst the secular progressives that if only humanity could just get its act together, we could live this out. It's the view of the eternal optimist. And sometimes in hard seasons like this, in the midst of hard questions, we find ourselves going, hey, let's just get over in that camp where it all just feels good. But the problem is the pain doesn't go away, does it? And so then there's the other side where there's the eternal pessimist. And on this side, there's both religious and non-religious people as well. You know, the the religious people are going, man, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. It is so broken, even Jesus can't fix it. And so we find ourselves singing songs like this, one glad morning when this life is over, I'll... I thought you were going to leave me hanging. Come on. Yeah, it's like we know it. Like just kind of this this feeling of like, oh man, this is so bad. Could we just hit the eject button and get out of here? It's the view of the eternal pessimist that that Jesus burned this thing down, get us out of here because this thing can't be fixed. But it's true of the non-religious as well. The non-religious who just go, you know what? We're not sure what's going to get us, but something's going to get us. You know, maybe it's going to be nuclear warfare. Maybe it's going to be climate change. Maybe it's going to be political and social coups. Who knows what it's going to be, but something's going to get us. And here's one thing that almost everybody, no matter where they find themselves in the conversation, can agree upon. And that is that human history is clearly heading somewhere. The question, though, is not where is it headed, but to whom is it headed? Because see, the Bible is clear on this. The Bible says, hey, this is what both the optimists and the pessimists do have, right, is that there is a trajectory of the human story, that it begun with creation and that it will culminate in a final moment. 
The place where most people disagree is they're like, I don't know what that is gonna look like and when that's gonna come. And I want you to be clear, this morning is not an end of the world sermon. I'm not gonna pass out brochures on where to buy a bomb shelter and how to store food. And this is not a course on prepping for the end of the world. What I'm asking is, do you have the eyes to see what is happening in the world the way that Jesus does? And do you have the, do you have the ability to operate with a living biblical hope in the midst of a world that at times feels like hell. And that's the conversation that I want us to unfold because the Bible says, listen, human history is indeed heading somewhere and that it indeed will end one day, but not because some person chooses to end it. It will end when Jesus Christ steps through uh, the curtain, the unveiled curtain of humanity, and he puts his feet back on planet Earth. It says that Jesus will return physically, that Jesus will judge between the living and the dead, the good and the righteous, that Jesus will deal with brokenness, that Jesus will wipe away every tear, that Jesus will deal with everything that is evil, and that Jesus will renew all things. But before the renewal of all things... There will be seasons that feel like the one we're in right now. And I want us to understand it so we don't fear it. Because when you fear it, you can't engage it, okay? Does that make sense? So three questions I want us to look at this morning from Jesus. First question is this. First question is this. What should we expect of humanity in this season that we're in? What should our expectations of humanity be in this season? Second question is what is the Christian perspective on pain in the season that we're in? And the third question is, where do you find real hope in a season like this? So what's our expectation of humanity? What's the Christian perspective on pain? And where do we find hope in the season that we're in? So let's start with this first question. What is our expectation of humanity? Or maybe a better question is, what is Jesus' expectation of humanity? Have you ever noticed that if, if there is a significant gap between what you expected and what you experienced, that your life is prone to uncertainty and fear? Like if you've ever booked a vacation online and that, that place looked amazing, and then you show up at that Airbnb and you're like, I'm not sure what angle that picture was taken from. <laughs> You know, it's like that looks a little different. Have you ever noticed that if your expectations are different from your experience, often you find yourself in turmoil? And I think this is what humanity is wrestling with right now. That humanity is going, we just didn't expect this. We just didn't expect that it could be this hard, that it could be this bad. We didn't expect this. And when you don't expect it, it catches you off guard. But, but Jesus speaks into this. Jesus says, hey, listen, Human history is indeed heading towards a final culmination of all things where Jesus is gonna return. And Jesus says, eventually all things are gonna be renewed. Eventually all things are gonna be beautiful. He says, but I want you to understand what it's gonna feel like as human history moves that way. And I want you to understand what you should expect of human beings so you won't be alarmed when they act like human beings. There's this moment in Matthew chapter 13 where Jesus is telling a parable, and I wish I had enough time to unpack the whole parable, but Jesus is telling this parable, and he makes it very clear. He says, this is a parable about the end of all things, that culminating event. And he tells the story like this. He says, he says there's this field, and in this field, there is wheat growing, and there is weed growing, not the kind you sell and smoke. You know, there is like the stuff that you're trying to kill in your grass. There is wheat, and there is weed. They're growing together. And he says, and there will be a great harvest where the wheat is harvested and the, wheat, the weeds are cut down and burned in the fire. And the disciples hear this and they go, that's a weird story, Jesus. Like, tell us, like, what do we do with that? And Jesus, he explains it so clearly. Go back and read Matthew 13 uh, this week. He explains it. He says, here's what I'm talking about. He says, in that story, the field represents the world. 
The wheat represents those that have surrendered their lives in obedience to Jesus. And the weeds represent those that are in rebellion to Jesus. And he says, the harvest represents the end of all things. And so the disciples, they hear that explanation and they said, hey, Jesus, since the world is so wicked and there's weeds growing up in the world, do you want us to go remove them? And Jesus says, no, you'll get it wrong. He says, your perspective is not good enough. He says, if you try to sit over humanity as judge, he says, you're gonna, you're gonna undoubtedly judge incorrectly. He says, you leave the judging up to me. And then he makes this statement that I want us to see in the first part of Matthew 13, verse 30. You can put this on the screen. Uh, he, says, he says, in light of all this, he says, let both grow together until the harvest. He says, let both the wheat, those that are following Jesus, and, both, and those that are rebelling against Jesus, let both grow until the harvest. And Jesus makes a stunning statement. I want you to see this because this is the answer to that first question, what should we expect? Jesus said, here's what you should expect. You should expect that as human history makes its way towards its final concluding moment and when it meets Jesus, you should expect that both righteousness and wickedness will mature together. That people will simultaneously get better at being wicked and they'll get better at being good. Jesus says, I'm not gonna jump in the optimist camp and I'm not gonna jump in the pessimist camp because he says both are half right. He says, here's the reality. He says, as things come towards their conclusion, humanity is going to get better at hurting each other, better at killing each other, better at wounding one another, better at scamming one another. And can't we just attest with what we see that Jesus is a truth teller? That what we saw in Vegas this last week was the epitome of wickedness maturing, of someone thinking intentionally and creatively about how to hurt people. That's what Jesus was referring to in Matthew 13. He says wickedness will increase, but he also says what? He says righteousness will increase. And that it's not just a moment for the church to fold up shop and to, to build our bunkers and to get scared and to hide. He says, no. He says, as history moves towards the culmination of all things, both righteousness and wickedness are maturing. And here's what I say, church, is it's clear that wickedness is maturing. The question is, will we mature? Will we rise up? Will we be more creative in the way that we love and serve and engage the pain in the world? I remember when I was uh, looking for an engagement ring to, to propose to Sydney. You know, if you've ever been through that process, you go into the jewelry store and they pull out all of the rings, none of which you can afford, and they pull them out and they never lay them on the glass case. They, they pull out this black piece of velvet cloth and they lay the diamonds down on top of it. Why? Because the diamonds shine more brightly against the darkness. Just as it would be ridiculous for a candle to complain about finding itself in a dark room. It's ridiculous for a church that complains to find itself in a dark world. You are the light of the world. You are made for such a time as this. But Jesus says, here's what you should expect so it doesn't catch you off guard, is that both righteousness and wickedness will grow together. Second question is, in light of that, what is the Christian response to pain in seasons like this. What's the Christian response to pain? Flip over to Matthew chapter 24 uh, in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 24. There are uh, three chapters in the Gospels that all tell this story that we're gonna look at real briefly. And they're three of the most confusing chapters in the Gospels. It's Mark 13, Luke 21, and Matthew 24. And uh, it's a confusing passage because Jesus looks at the temple in Jerusalem and he says, hey, here's the deal, that temple is gonna fall down, it's gonna be destroyed. 
And the disciples asked Jesus two questions at the beginning of Matthew 24. They say, hey, Jesus, when is the temple going to be destroyed and when is the end of all things going to come? And Jesus answers both of these questions. And those chapters are confusing because a lot of times we fail to recognize that he's answering two questions at the same time. And so he begins to speak into what it is that they're going to experience, what we're going to experience in the last days and the pain that we're going to feel. And Jesus begins to answer the second question. What's the Christian perspective of pain? Look at verse four. It'll be up on the screen, Matthew 24. Jesus answered. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. Because in painful times, deception is easy, right? He says, be careful that no one deceives you. For many will come into my name claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You will hear wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but still the end is to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. On the screen, uh, we put up Luke chapter 21, verse 25 and 26. This is another part of that conversation from the same moment. It says, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars on earth. Nations will anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And I go, does this not feel like the season we're in? Jesus says that there is going to be war and rumor of war. There will be earthquakes. The seas are going to roar. Nations will turn against nations. He says the cultures will be perplexed. They will ask the question that I read this week in the USA Today, what is the world coming to? He says they will be overrun with fear and terror. And I go, isn't that the season that we're living in? But look back at verse 8 in Matthew 24. Jesus says, but here's your perspective on all those things. He says these things are birth pains. He says, these things are birth pains. Now, I want you to notice two things here. What is the Christian perspective on pain? First and foremost is that it's actually pain. Jesus doesn't write it off. He doesn't say, hey, one day it's all gonna be fine. Don't worry about it. It's just an illusion. If only you were spiritually tougher. Jesus says, no, what you're feeling, what you're mourning, what you're wrestling with is completely legitimate. Did you know it's possible to be a person filled with heavenly hope and still be overrun with legitimate pain? Remember when Jesus showed up to the funeral of his best friend, Lazarus? Jesus knew that he was showing up to the funeral to ruin it. Jesus was gonna raise that dude from the dead. He knew the way the story ended, but what did Jesus do when he showed up? He wept. Jesus sits outside of Jerusalem. He knows the way the story's ending, and what does he do? Uh, he weeps. He weeps, and I go, if, if God, who knows the way the story ends, can weep, it's okay for us to weep. Jesus says, here's the deal. As humanity gets both better and worse, as pain gets more intense and more frequent. He says, first and foremost, you need to understand that the Christian perspective is it is okay to call pain, pain. It is okay to weep. It is okay to engage. It is okay to get in the midst of all of it and to feel all the feels, as the kids these days would say. Like, you can get in there and you can feel it. But he says, here's the perspective on pain. He says, these are birth pains. Now, this is an important phrase. Have you ever been in a hospital room when somebody is dying? Have you been in a hospital room when somebody is being born? The interesting thing is that the end of life and the beginning of life are often marked by similar realities. That when somebody's body is shutting down, it is so often marked by unthinkable pain. And when new life is getting ready to be pushed into the world, it is so often preceded by unthinkable pain. It is possible to be in a hospital room 
watching somebody die and watching somebody be born and to describe both of those moments through the lens of pain. But the interesting thing, and I've been in both spaces multiple times, is that in the death pains, that moment is preceding unthinkable despair. In birth pains, the pain is preceding unthinkable joy. The pain is unbelievably real. My wife is there giving birth to each of our three kids, and the pain is intense. It is uncomfortable to watch. And yet there's this hope in the room because we know that on the other side of that pain is the beginning of something new. It's, it's this unbelievable miracle. If you've ever been there when somebody's born, is it is this excruciating pain and then it's like the second that baby pops out with their bowling ball head, you know, and it just caused all of that pain, that baby comes out and then all of a sudden it's like the memory of the pain is gone. And the mom just holds that baby. It's just this, it's this unbelievable thing. And Jesus says what you're feeling is pain, but what you're feeling is birth pains. And it's important that we understand this as Christians that what we're seeing in the world right now is not the end of something good. We're not experiencing death pains right now in the world. We are experiencing pain, but it's not death pains. It's not the end of something good. It's the, the precursor to the reality that something better is coming. Amen. That something better, and not just something better, but someone better is coming. And he says, this is the perspective. He says, what should you expect? Well, humans are gonna get both better and worse. And that's gonna bring about unthinkable pain. He says, but this is birth pain of a new heaven and a new earth is coming. Third question, so where do you find hope in that? So where do you find legitimate hope? And I'm not talking about surface level hope. I'm not talking about just like drumming ourselves up into some sort of spiritual feeling so we can get through the news cycle. I'm going like, where do we find courageous, compassionate hope that moves us into places of pain with a steadfastness and a sincerity and, a, and this ability to engage and yet not be bogged down by the fear of that pain? Hebrews chapter two speaks into this. It'll be on the screen. I just want you to see these words out of Hebrews chapter two, verse 14 to 15. It says, since the children, speaking about us, have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all of their lives have been held in slavery by the fear of death. I want you to just read that again. He says, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of the one who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. You know, Satan's ultimate weapon is not just death, but the fear of death that he dangles over every one of us. And he knows that if he can keep us terrified of coming to our end, that we'll never engage in the things that actually make it what it is to live. You know, the interesting thing about the church to me is all of us want to go to heaven, but none of us seem to want to get there very quickly. <laughs> It's like everybody wants to be with God, but it's like the idea of getting there soon is like, ugh. And I love this moment. The writer of Hebrews said, hey, here's the deal. He says, Jesus took on flesh. Jesus faced the great enemy of humanity, and Jesus came out on the other side of it to show for you what it would be like when you face the thing you fear the most, so that way you have nothing to fear. He says, and it's by this that he freed those who all their lives have been slaves of fear that was brought on by our own mortality. I want you to think about this for a moment. Why is it that Jesus' death brings you and I real hope in 2017? Because he didn't stay dead. 
That's why there's a lot of good dudes and a lot of good women that have died for great causes, but only one of them got out of the tomb. Only one of them stood back up and Jesus said, let me face the thing you fear the most and show you what's on the other side. And that way you have nothing left to fear. Have you ever been around somebody that doesn't fear death? You know, I think about one of my friends in college, we'd go skateboarding together and he was one of those dudes, he was just nuts. He didn't fear anything. And so I remember there's this place on our campus, there's this really high set of stairs outside of a building and we're out there one day and he rides a skateboard, he jumps off of it and lands and shatters his femur, breaks the biggest bone in his leg, has to have surgery, you know, has the cast for 10 months. Everybody's asking him, they're like, hey, if you can walk again, are you ever gonna ride a skateboard again? He's like, the moment this thing comes off, I'm going back to those stairs and we're having a party. And we're like, did you have a head injury as well? Like, what's, what's wrong with you? And you know, sure enough, the day he gets the cast off, I remember a group of us going back over to the stairs. He grabs his skateboard, he rides and jumps off and breaks his leg again. <laughs> Not really. No. And that, kids, is why you shouldn't skateboard. No, I mean, he, uh, he, he lands it. And it's just amazing because he wasn't scared. He wasn't scared of death. Think about a few weeks ago being at a going away party for a young family in our church that have three kids, six, four, and two years old, and we're at this going away party for them. Saying goodbye as they pack their family up and they just move to the Middle East where they plan to be for the rest of their lives. Working on the southern border of Syria with an unreached people group in the midst of warfare. And we're there at this barbecue in this backyard in Brentwood and they're talking about going to Syria and everyone's just like, man, this isn't exactly safe. But they're not scared of death. And so they have this living hope and they go, we have this hope so we can go into the pain. We can go to the place that nobody else goes. We have the freedom to actually live because we're not scared of dying. And Jesus says, this is what you can expect. Humans are going to get worse and they're going to get better simultaneously. The world is going to be more wicked and the church is gonna be more brilliant. And the result of that is that we're gonna find ourselves marked by real pain that is pointing to this longing for something new. You know, the truth is for so many of us, life up until this point has been so comfortable, we've needed no future hope because we so enjoyed the present. But there's been this thing that's been stirring. It says you're feeling the pain and it's birth pain of some, something that's coming. But the way that you live, I love in verses four through eight, he says, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed by these things. I'm telling you these things so you won't be scared. He says, because you have hope. I'll go first, then you follow me. I'll go first, you follow me. Don't you realize, guys, that that's the essence of Christianity? Jesus says, I'll go first, you follow me. You go for, I'll go first, you follow me. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'll go first and you guys sit in a room and sing songs about me, think a few stories and then live your lives however you want. No, he says, I'll go first, you follow me. Hey, I'll go first, you follow me. I'll go first, you follow me. And that's the essence of this journey that we're on. And I don't know if you noticed, but we're living in a time right now where the world is looking for some people to go first again. It's a lot of pain, a lot of heartache. And it's you and you and you and you and you and you and you. It's, it's us, by the grace of God, we get to go into it. So what do we do with this? A few simple things. First, I wanna challenge you to really examine your life. And I go, if you're not right with God, honestly, I, I have no idea what you're waiting for. Like some of you have never surrendered your life to Jesus. Some of you have surrendered your life to Jesus, but you're holding on to all of these things. And I just want to challenge you as a guy that loves you and cares about you is please don't exchange that which is eternal for that which is temporary. 
And a lot of us are clinging to temporary pleasures that will let us down when we stand face to face with the eternal king. And I just wanna challenge you, just discern, to just ask, okay, God, am I in good standing with you? Am I in good standing with you? I challenge you to search your heart and to return to the Lord. If you wanna talk about that, if you wanna be prayed over, if you have questions, there'll be some men and women, we'd love to do that with you. Over here at the Respond Banner, as soon as I'm done teaching, I'd love to pray with you and talk with you. Second thing is I wanna challenge you to embrace the pain of the culture. Don't run from it, don't be scared of it, don't ignore it, don't pretend it's not there. Embrace it, enter in, it's what Jesus did. It's the essence of the incarnation. Jesus could have cleaned things up from heaven, instead he came to earth. He came, he came and he's among us. And I wanna invite you in this season, you, you may not know what to say, you may not know how to say it, you may not know what to do, but the ministry of your presence is a powerful thing in seasons of pain. Don't be scared to embrace the pain. So return to the Lord. Embrace the pain. And number three, let go of the fear. Let go of the fear. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. And sometimes as Christians, in an effort to embrace the pain, we also hold on to the world's fear. <laughs> have you ever noticed that? And so we, we take the world's angst and the world's fear and we baptize it with Christian language. And we, and we don't understand why we're not seeing the outcomes of the kingdom. And I go, embrace the pain, but allow the Lord to help you let go of that fear. Because I believe that God has something in store for us. Here's, I believe, a prophetic word for our church family. I believe that as this actually takes root in your heart, as you begin to see things the way that Jesus does, that God is going to loosen up some of you so much that you're gonna enter into unthinkable places of pain. And for some of you, all, you'll spend the rest of your life feeling that pain. But the reality is that Jesus himself will be glorified in it. He will sustain you through it. And the world around you will see just how amazing God is. And I want to challenge you to not be fearful of that, to not be fearful of that. We're following a homeless, nomadic, crucified, peasant, itinerant preacher. <laughs> That's our leader. He also rose from the dead and he's coming back as king. And the word of God says, when you know that, lift your eyes and await, but do so in a way that engages the people around there's some of you here this morning, you're just overwhelmed by fear and hopelessness, or maybe you have this calling of God on your life and you don't know, know what to do with it. And I wanna invite you right now, this may feel a little bit awkward, but some of you have just been, you're like, I don't even know what to do with all that I'm feeling. And I, I just wanna pray over you, just a pastoral prayer over you. If you feel comfortable, if you've been wrestling with some of those things, I wanna invite you to stand up at your seat right now. I just wanna pray over you out loud. So if you've been wrestling with some of this pain or some of this hope, you don't know what to do, just stand up at your seat. I want to pray over you. God, I thank you. I thank you for these men and women. God, I thank you for the stories that they find themselves in. God, I pray that this morning you would give them a fresh perspective on what it is that you're doing in their life and what it is that you're doing in the world. Lord, I pray that in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would break the chains of fear. And God, you'd give them a heavenly hope that allows them to engage the reality of the world around us. God, would you use these brothers and these sisters of mine in ways that are unthinkable, beautiful. God, for the rest of us, would you teach us how to see things the way that you see them, how to feel what you feel, how to engage the way that you engage. And Lord, would you use us in this season? God, thank you for this time. Thank you that we get to be together. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray, amen.